Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty and I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That's a freak with two E's. I love the NFL. I watch every game every week. I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store today on episode number 68. Here we are charging through the season. We're going to go right now to our week 10 review. Just finished a pretty fun uh, week 10. Three days left, three weeks left rather before our playoffs start. Uh, Week 10 is in the books. And so I wanted to just give you some of my thoughts on week 10. Uh, general observations, talk about what some moves that I tried to make on the waiver wire this week, as well as some injury updates. And then this week in particular, a lot of trades to discuss because it was trade deadline in several of my leagues and a bunch of trades went down. But let's start with just some top observations. Normally I would give you five, but this week I just had a hard time coming up with a fifth. So we're going to give you top four observations from the week overall. Uh, one was that two descending players uh, show that they're not dead yet. There are many more, too, but these two in particular stood out. First was O.J. Howard. Uh, he scored his first touchdown this week. Uh, granted, it was against the Arizona Cardinals, who have let eight tight ends or let tight ends destroy them all year. Still, he really looked good and had a season high in targets with seven. A touchdown was a total defensive breakdown, so nothing really other than a complete breakdown on that play. But there were several other plays during the game, like high targets down the field, a lot of contested passes that he threw down the seam. Winston was really trusting him a lot. So no one can, can question Howard's ability, right? We all know his ability, but everyone can question uh, how he will be used in this offense since that's been the big question mark. Uh, this week he showed that what he can do uh, with his ability. Um, I honestly don't think I want to trust him going forward though myself. The second guy on the other hand though I do trust. Joe Mixon had his best fantasy game of the year too. Uh, after getting 30 carries against Baltimore, even while they were trailing Baltimore the whole time. Mixon is a top 12 talented running back, I believe. I just think he's stuck on a team with an awful offensive line, a rookie head coach, and an inept front office. Uh, These are the three factors that are keeping his dynasty value suppressed, really. Um, As far as the offensive line goes, I do believe that that will get better in the years to come. They do have several starters that were lost this year to injury, including their first-round draft pick and Jonah Williams. They obviously know that the offensive line is a weakness for them. That's why they drafted him in the first round, um, which is going to get better, I believe. But I think now they're in the line to maybe get the very first pick, if not the second pick of the draft. And so likely I think that they're going to draft a quarterback. And if they're smart, the second thing they'll do is once they draft a quarterback, then they'll do everything they can do to protect him and just go hard after offensive lines. So that's what they should do. But like I said, with a rookie head coach who we don't really know much about yet, and a history of inept um, management. We'll see if these young coaches or management can do what they need to do to actually make Joe Mixon be what he really is, but he can't be on that team. Second observation that I made that was pretty frustrating for fantasy owners was that two smart coaches outsmarted themselves last week. Two good teams lost to far worse teams in their own buildings on Sunday, largely because they did not commit to strong running games. First was Indianapolis, who lost to Miami. For some reason, Coach Reich relied on backup quarterback Brian Hoyer, allowing him to throw the ball 39 times, and he completed a measly 42% of those passes. And Coach uh, Reich 
also let Eric Ebron talk him into playing and get him more involved. If you remember hearing that he had like a one-on-one meeting with him, and it worked because for some reason Eric Ebron got more involved in the game. But here was the result. 12 targets, several of which were drops, including one drop in the end zone where it ended up being an interception because he couldn't hang on to it. And all that, 12 targets ended up in five catches for 56 yards. Just pathetic. Marlon Mack did get 19 carries, but it just wasn't enough on a day when your backup quarterback was clearly off target. I don't know why Reich was not giving his runners, primarily Marlon Mack, the ball more than he did. Reich let the game get away from him, which really crushed the fantasy impact of a lot of the Colts players. I know with all the buys that were happening last week, there was a lot of Chester Rogers and a lot of Zach Pascal that was started, and, and nobody was helped by that, And Mo, nor was Marlon Mack. Second coach that outsmarted himself was Sean Payton in New Orleans, who lost to Atlanta in one of the biggest upsets of the year, really. Uh, Alvin Kamara came back from his injury, so we thought. He came into play, but it seemed like Coach Payton was trying to protect him or something. I tell you this, Murray actually started the game, and he had five carries, while Kamara only had four carries, nine carries between the two the entire game. Meanwhile, Drew Brees threw the ball 45 times. Coach Payton really blew it this week in New Orleans by not running the ball enough. Uh, Michael Thomas and Kamara did enough to help our fantasy teams, but only in PPR leagues because they did kind of get some trash time passes thrown their way. But the whole offensive uh, performance was just awful, and it was really the imbalance allowed Atlanta to dampen the fantasy value of all other Saints players. Third thing that I'll mention that was pretty significant from this week was that Cleveland's four stars contribute, but they eat into each other's work as well. It was the first week back with Kareem Hunt in Cleveland and Nick Chubb owners wanted to see how his involvement would impact him. It turned out in this week, uh, the first week of playing together at least, that both running backs had good but not great fantasy games, much like the Cleveland wide receivers have done all year long, right? Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry have done that all year. Chubb played 81% of the snaps while Hunt played 54%, and they were actually on the field together 28% of the snaps. Now, Hunt actually outscored Chubb this week in PPR leagues because he did have seven catches. Uh, He was even used as a slot receiver. They were definitely targeting him often as a receiver. Chubb actually had the most carries, though, with 20 carries for the fourth week in a row. So not much has changed for him in that department. Um, He did have another 100-yard rushing game, just like he has two out of the last three weeks. And so I think that they're really, Chubb and Hunt, look like they're pretty much going to be what has happened in the receiving with them. So you've got... Uh, Landry, who's the actual number 22 wide receiver in half PPR leagues, while Beckham's number 28, but there's only six points that separate them. So you've got Landry and Beckham that have been doing this all year. They each get about the same amount of work, the same amount of targets, and neither seems to be able to crack into being a regular top 12 wide receiver. But they are very safe top 24 players every week. I'm thinking that might be what we should expect in Cleveland among the running backs going forward too, which pains me as one of the most... uh, highest or the biggest fans of Nick Chubb have him in several leagues but I think he's going to start to be split good news is they're still going to produce bad news is it's not going to be any blow-up games I don't think for either of them last thing that was a general observation was that there are two defenses that are on the rise due to savvy trades that they made now I know for fantasy speaking uh, scoring varies drastically from league to league when it comes to defense and special teams and if you play with them at all I know a lot of you don't even play with uh, defenses and special teams But for those that do, there are two defenses that have great schedules to end the season, and they're going to make an impact in fantasy playoffs this year and in our dynasty rosters for years to come. Of course, I'm speaking about Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Pittsburgh and Baltimore were the number one and two defenses last week in fantasy points, and it's largely due to the play of their defensive backs and the defensive backs that each team traded for. 
So Pittsburgh traded for Minka Fitzpatrick, who already leads the team in interceptions, and he's literally changed the way that they can play defense. They trust their defensive backs now, and they've just been blitzing the quarterbacks like crazy, which has resulted in tons of sacks and fumbles and interceptions. And then Baltimore, they traded for Marcus Peters, and he's already had two pick sixes. Helped Baltimore uh, score on defense and helped them hand the Patriots their first loss. They also got Justin Smith, their other cornerback, back. And so now that Justin Smith is back and they've got Marcus Peters, these two corners are making it very hard on opposing wide receivers and the team defenses of Baltimore and Pittsburgh are actually going to help teams win their fantasy titles this year. Kind of fun when you see a defensive trade in the NFL work out that way, and it's really one that actually helps our fantasy teams for those of us who roster defenses and have Pittsburgh or Baltimore. Let's move now to the injury impact. Thankfully, there wasn't too much to talk about. Uh, first would be Saquon Barkley. Uh, Barkley had just one yard rushing on 13 carries. Uh, if not for a long pass play that he had against Dallas two weeks ago, this would have been his second dud game in a row. I think his ankle injury is probably going to cost him to miss a few weeks, or at the very least it could become one of those nagging injuries that just becomes a problem for the rest of the year and limits his potential. This doesn't, of course, impact his dynasty value, um, other than the fact that he could be starting to get passed in the rankings by a few other players. I know there's a lot of analysts probably right now that have uh, Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook that have moved ahead of Saquon Barkley. Uh, in the short term, this shouldn't affect the value of any of the other Giants players, I don't think. Um, it may mean more passing for Daniel Jones, um, but that's just for this season. Next one I think does have some dynasty value was the injury to Devonta Freeman. Uh, Freeman's going to miss at least two weeks, but I think it's likely going to be more than that. Um, and I think this does have some dynasty impact. I was already much lower on Freeman than most other analysts that I know. I sold him two years ago in the leagues where I owned him. I just lost confidence in him two years ago. Felt like he had already had reached his peak value a few years ago and was too injury prone to continue to be a top 10 to 15 running back like he was being ranked two or three years ago. I didn't buy it. Um, it's, not right, it's not the right time to sell him now after this news, obviously. But if he does come back and play again this season and has like one good game, I would try to flip him as fast as I could. This is probably the beginning of the end for Freeman. If it wasn't, like I suggest, the beginning of the end was actually a few years ago. Brian Hill, of course, is going to get the chance to prove something in the short term. More on him in a minute when we get to our waiver wire uh, prospects. Um, this rookie draft season, I was a lot higher on uh, Cadre Allison and uh, the most analysts were, so I actually drafted him in several leagues. And I've been super frustrated and surprised that he's not been allowed to play. He didn't look too bad during the preseason games, but he's just not been able to play. Um, so that's pretty pretty frustrating. I assume that he's finally going to get the chance to in the coming weeks, and I think Atlanta would be wise to take a look at him because if he doesn't have what it takes, I think they need to go and draft a running back in this next year's NFL draft. And we all know it's going to be a great draft for NFL running backs, so there will be plenty for them to choose from. And, of course, they're going to have a much higher draft pick than they thought going into the year. Staying in Atlanta, we'll talk about the injury to Austin Hooper. Uh, this one was super sad because he was on pace to be a number one tight end overall. He already was the number one tight end overall. Now he's not going to get to finish that way. So that stinks. Uh, Hooper hurt his knee and is expected to miss four weeks. Um, but, man, if Atlanta has nothing to play for after four weeks, they may just sit in for the rest of the year. This really stinks for us uh, Dynasty owners because Hooper's absence from our Dynasty lineups is going to hurt in the playoffs. Uh, teams with Hooper are most likely in the playoff hunt just because he's been playing so well. Like, he's carried teams into the playoffs. So this injury is pretty painful uh, for us this year. But in the long term, it doesn't affect his dynasty value uh, very much. 
but there may be some owners who think so in your league. So here's what I would do. If you could offer that the owner who lost Hooper, maybe he's really, you know, his backup tight end is not very good. If there's anything that you could do to offer a, you know, top 10 to 15 tight end to the uh, Hooper owner in exchange for getting Hooper for yourself for the rest of, um, well, for yourself on your dynasty team, then I would do that. I think that would be a great move. So whoever's lost Hooper, go see what they need and see if you've got a dynasty tight end that could help them in their playoff run and you can get Hooper back in return. Uh, I don't think that affects his dynasty value. You need to keep keep him coming. In the short term, uh, this certainly means more targets for Julio, Ridley, Gage, and now Brian Hill. The Freeman injury likely means more passing for Atlanta overall, too, so it should just kind of have everything should go up in Atlanta, but scattered to, to the receivers primarily. Finally, I'll mention one, not as significant of a player, but I'll mention Ty Johnson. Uh, man, he had every opportunity to increase his dynasty value after Kerryon Johnson's injury, but uh, he's already been injured twice since he came in, and he's really been outplayed by J.D. McKissick. So I don't think his, I think his dynasty value has to drop pretty significantly as a result of this, and McKissick's look decent, but not great. I think in the short term, he's valuable maybe as a flex play for the rest of this year, particularly in PPR leagues. I don't think I would start him as a flex in a non-PPR league. Um, but I don't think it's going to raise his dynasty value. He's kind of slotted into just being a kind of like what he is right now. He was a third string back that maybe was going to come in and passing downs. People get injured. Now he's got some play time. Now let's move on to some waiver moves. There was not much on the waiver wire. As a reminder, I play in 27 to 30 man rosters in those leagues with 10 to 12 teams per league. So the roster is, or the pool is very thin on the waiver wire. And this week it felt like it was especially thin. We start with the number one one, uh, which is pretty big, was Brian Hill. Uh, Hill was available in a few of my leagues, but savvy owners picked him up last week. So last weekend when the news came out that Ito Smith was being put on IR, I immediately went to the waiver wire, and I picked him up in one league where he was available, and then unfortunately I decided not to pick him up in another league where he was available. My bad. I should have picked him up in both leagues for sure. Now I regret it. But that was a savvy move to make. Was Once you saw Ito Smith went down, it was smart to just grab Brian Hill and put him on the back of your roster and see what happens. And what happens is now he's going to be a starter for the next several weeks in Atlanta. I don't believe that Hill has the frame and the skills to win the Atlanta possession, uh, running back position outright for years to come. So this is less of a dynasty move on the waiver wire. It's more of a win-now move for teams this year. Um, that said, it's always good to carry backups in dynasty leagues. I love kind of filling my rosters with, with you know six, seven running backs that are the backups for their teams because once someone gets hurt, their value goes up, which means you can sell them or you can play them. And so maybe Hill can play good enough to actually become the number two behind the oft-injured Freeman or whatever running back they draft next year, in which case he'd still be worth a hold. So pretty, pretty important move for this week, definitely for the short term, maybe a little bit in the long term. Second player that I made some claims on was uh, Tyler Eifert. Yeah, the fact is that C.J. Uzama is getting more playing time than Eifert, but, he's, but Eifert's been more involved in the passing game. And so he had a nice red zone catch, a touchdown uh, from the rookie quarterback Ryan Finley this last week. He's been a red zone monster before, so we know that he can do it again if he can stay healthy. The problem is the Bengals' offense, however, might not be in the red zone as much as we'd like. I did make two waiver bids for him, um, but someone else came in with a higher priority and got him. And then the other league, someone actually had more fab money than me and, and bought him. So I didn't get Eifert, even though I did make a couple bids for him. Final player that I made bid on, bids on this week was Kendrick Bourne, uh, receiver for San Francisco. Bourne has almost twice as many snaps as Dante Pettis on Monday night after Emmanuel Sanders left the game. And he turned it into four catches and a touchdown. 
after last week he had just one catch, but it was for a touchdown, so he scored in two straight weeks. This hurts because as much as I love Dante Pettis, I think he's being passed by this undrafted free agent from Eastern Washington. Gosh, how much Pettis has fallen. I picked him up in one league just to see how this competition with Pettis plays out. Like I could hold him. I might you know, be the next guy that I would drop next week if I find someone else on the waiver wire. But for now, in at least this one league where it's deeper league, it's in my 12-league, uh, 27-man roster league, so pretty deep. Um, I decided he was worth holding just to see. Either way, for Bourne, uh, he's still going to be the fourth targeted person on the team, right? So he's not going to get more targets than Kittle or, Sandals, or Sanders or now Debo Samuel in the future. But he was worth holding just to see if he truly beats out Pettis. That would be sad if one day we have to drop Pettis and roster Bourne. <laughs> Looks like it's headed that way. Last thing we'll talk about today is some of the trades that were made in our leagues. Uh, there was a lot of trades because the deadline was coming up in several of my leagues, so got a little bit more exciting this week with trades, so let's talk about some of them. Uh, one trade was Josh Gordon for Curtis Samuel, so just player per player, straight up Josh Gordon or Curtis Samuel. Who do you like better? This was in my FFPC league, and it was made between two kind of middle-of-the-pack type of teams. Um, I think they're still trying to contend, so this is just kind of a player-for-player player deal. Um, I feel like it's a very fair player-for-player player trade, though I actually like the Curtis Samuel side a bit more. Samuel I have ranked as my number 48 wide receiver, while Gordon's ranked as my number 54 wide receiver. So they're close, 48 and 54, just six spots apart. But the things that make a difference for me is Samuel's age, 23, compared to Gordon's 28. And then, of course, Gordon's off-field problems also make a big difference. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, though, right? So I could see how someone might like Gordon and his chance there in Seattle more than Samuel. But for me, I like the Samuel uh, side of this one for sure. Then the second trade that happened in my FSPC league was Kenny Steele's in a 2027th round pick, straight up for just a 2023rd round pick. So Steele's in a seventh for a third. Uh, this was another trade in my FFPC league made by the same player who acquired Curtis Samuel. So this guy acquires Curtis Samuel, and then he makes this trade. So apparently he thought Stills was no longer needed after Samuels joined his team. So he traded Stills just pretty much straight up for a third-round pick and I guess got talked into throwing in a seventh as well. Here's why this is an interesting trade and why I'm going to favor the third-round pick above Kenny Stills and, and uh, the seventh-round pick. FFPC leagues are much thinner rosters. You have to cut down to 16 players, and that means including a kicker and a defense, so really 14 positional players that you have. Uh, so you cut down to 16 players uh, before you have a seven-round rookie draft. And so the truth is, if I had Stills on my roster, I don't know if he'd make the final cut of my 14 positional players. I think this is a great move to sell him for a third-round pick. Um, he essentially probably got a third-round pick there for someone he might not use this year and then would likely have to cut when it came down to cut, cutting rosters before the rookie draft. So in an FS, FFPC league in particular, I like the 2023 pick on this side of the trade. Next trade, this is a big one, was Philip Lindsay and Darren Waller were traded for Lamar Jackson and O.J. Howard. Philip Lindsay and Darren Waller for Lamar Jackson and O.J. Howard. This one requires a little bit of context it's a one-quarterback league, and the Lamar Jackson owner also has Patrick Mahomes. So he's sitting here on maybe the top two quarterbacks in the league, right? Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson in a one-quarterback league. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to him, that other owners have been making offers for Lamar Jackson all year, including myself. Uh, his team's very thin at running back, and he only had O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait at tight end. So that's why he made this move, I think, for Waller and for Lindsey. Um, he's still in contention for the playoffs, so I think he tried to give it one last push, I suppose. 
Um, Lindsay and Waller are going to be every week starters for his team, you know, going forward for the rest of this season at least, uh, perhaps in the future. But the team that acquired Jackson, on the other hand, Jackson and Howard, um, is out of contention. So this was a move kind of for the future on his part. And obviously, if he has Lamar Jackson, uh, he could have a very, very solid and long future so long as Jackson stays healthy and doesn't get hurt, which he seems to have done so far. He definitely bought Jackson at his high point and definitely bought Howard at his low point. Even though he had a good game last week, it was still Howard's value has been dropping all season. It didn't really, I'm sure, rise very much after that one touchdown week that he had. So he got Jackson high point, Howard low point. I think all in all, I like this uh, for the Lindsey and Waller side of this trade, but only because the, the team that has Jackson also has Mahomes. Like, I don't think if, if I didn't have Mahomes, that I know I could only start one of those two quarterbacks that I would trade for this. Otherwise, I would have held out for much more than Waller and Lindsey to give away Jackson. Um, he's been getting trade offers all year, so I guess this was the best one that he received, and he finally decided it was time to, to let him go. Next, we have a trade between, this one's pretty interesting too, Josh Jacobs and a 2021st in exchange for Ezekiel Elliott and Adrian Peterson. Josh Jacobs and a 2021st for Ezekiel Elliott and Adrian Peterson. So the team that acquired Jacobs in the 2021st is near the bottom of the league and I think was looking just to get a little bit younger. Jacobs, you know, as a rookie this year and to get a future rookie next year in the 2021st. Um, that the team that traded for Zeke and Peterson is five and five, and they're currently holding the last seed in the playoffs. And so I think that probably what they were doing here is they wanted two starters who were already playing well compared to one. Like in their mind, this kind of feels like a two for one deal for this year at least, um, because Adrian Peterson, even as old as he is, he's playing well enough to start um, when with that run first Washington offense that they're running out there now. And so he thought he was probably getting Zeke and Adrian, two guys he could start, giving away Jacobs. Um, so for me, uh, Jacobs has been rising up my running back rankings. He's moved all the way up to number seven for me, while Zeke is still holding Pat at number three. Um, so that part of the trade is close enough, number seven ranked running back to number three ranked running back. Um, but I would much rather have the other side of this trade. I would much rather have the 2021st compared to Adrian Peterson. So for me, that really tips the scales in favor of the Josh Jacobs and 2021st side of this trade. I see why uh, each you know person made the trade that they did to help their teams this year, but I do think that the guy who picked up Adrian Peterson might have neglected to think about the impact that Darius Geis could have. He could begin to eat into Peterson's playtime this season, before the season ends. And so if you thought that you were going to be able to start both of these guys as you make your playoff run, um, I'm not sure if Adrian Peterson's going to be producing like he has during these uh, weeks while Geis has been out. Next, we'll move to these last two trades. This one's a fun one. Uh, DJ Moore and a 2020 second round pick for David Johnson and a 2020 third round pick. So we have a DJ for DJ trade here. Uh, this one's very close. David Johnson had perhaps his worst showing of his career last week. So it was time to buy him low if you were looking for him. And DJ had the, one of the best games of his career, definitely the best game of his season this year, best uh, game of his season. And as far as the second and third round picks, in, in this particular case, the second and third round pick are currently just three picks from each other. So the picks are really close too. Now that could change because there's still you know several more games in the regular season before draft slots get, get uh, pinned. But right now those picks are only three apart from each other. So essentially this is you know two picks that are really close to each other, three apart, and then it's just David Moore for DJ Johnson. So given all that, I think that I favor the David Johnson side of this trade. I wish, though, that I could have three more weeks to decide. <laughs> 
it's just too hard for me to believe right now that David Johnson just fell off a cliff and the guys like Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds can outplay him in Arizona. I just It's too hard for me to believe right now because he was just so good for so many years. Um, but if he is healthy uh, these next few weeks and gets outplayed by Drake, I'm going to regret and say that I was wrong and I'll change my tune on this trade. But right now I'm still having faith that David Johnson can be closer to the old David Johnson than he was what he looked like last week. I do like DJ Moore a lot, um, but there is just for me there's just enough sample size now. You know, we're almost through two years of play for him to question whether he'll ever be a guy that scores a lot of touchdowns. Um, That said, he's the 19th ranked wide receiver in this league so far. So he's already a top 20 wide receiver in this particular league with only scoring one touchdown. So maybe he can be a top 20 guy without scoring touchdowns. But for me, right now, I'm going to leave the David Johnson side, though I'm open to admit that within a few weeks, I could be proven very wrong. Finally, one of the craziest trades... Mark Andrews was traded for Antonio Brown. Just straight up, Mark Andrews for Antonio Brown. This was the craziest trade of the week. Um, if you've been following me, you know that I sold all my Antonio shares uh, last offseason, like before he was even traded to Oakland. Like when he started acting crazy, I was like, get this guy off my team. Like I got to get him out of here. And of course, I won all of those trades because Antonio Brown did nothing this year and maybe will play do nothing ever again. But what's funny is this was the same owner who bought Brown from me in two of those leagues. He's the one that made this trade to buy him again. So he obviously sees something that I don't. (laughs) I don't see it. Um, I would much rather have Mark Andrews. Uh, To his credit slightly, he does have Austin Hooper on his team, so maybe that made Mark Andrews a little bit more expendable. But not so much now that Hooper's hurt. You're going to wish that you had Mark Andrews right now, right? And besides that point, Mark Andrews is a very valuable dynasty asset and he should be traded for much more than Antonio Brown. That's my opinion. That's going to do it for this week. That's my week number 10 review. Uh, appreciate you guys giving a listen. As always, make it a con- two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. A much better email than I'm on Twitter, so definitely email me. would love to help you as you think about your teams and trades and other things going on in your leagues. You could do me a great favor by ranking and reviewing uh, the the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts. I know I say that every week. Would love it if you would do that for me. I do want to be your most trusted independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. So you know what to do until next time. You need to go out there and get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.